I want you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. It was Wednesday of Jesus' final week on this earth. He had been to the temple. In fact, he had been to the temple three times that week. He had confronted the religious leaders and accused them of being religious hypocrites. Basically, Jesus said to the people there in Jerusalem, Judaism is dead. It's dead. And then Jesus took his disciples. He brought them out of the temple for the last time. And he made his way to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you've been to Jerusalem and, and Israel before, you know that the Mount of Olives sits higher than the city of Jerusalem. It, it gives you like a perch. And you can see the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. And it was quite a sight for Jesus and his disciples on this particular day. Before Jesus left the city, he lamented over Jerusalem. He lamented over the temple. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. You were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me, until the day you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, in the passage we're going to focus on today, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, the Lord Jesus prophetically describes what would occur between his first coming and his second coming. With that thought in mind, Let's look at the text itself, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 13. The Bible says, and he was going out of the temple. Now remember, this is his last time to go out of the temple. The very last time in his earthly life. One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, when the disciples looked at the temple and the temple mount, they were amazed at the construction of the temple. It was a thing of beauty, folks. The temple was made of polished white stone. There, there were many parts of the temple that were overlaid with pure gold. Can you imagine the sight when the sun came up and it, it, it shone off of that polished white stone and the, the gold that was overlaid over part of the temple. Can you imagine what beauty it was? Herod the Great had started this renovation decades before the Lord Jesus was incarnated a, a, into the human race. 
And this renovation would continue a couple of, or three decades after Jesus went back to heaven. I mean, it was in the process of being renovated even as we speak here today, as we look at this. It was beautiful. Some of the foundation stones of this temple were as big as a railroad boxcar. It was a marvel, an engineering marvel that they could pull off getting those kinds of stones there into the foundation. And these disciples were amazed at the temple. The entire temple complex was huge. It involved several porticos, colonnades, and courtyards. In, in, in fact, listen, these disciples, when they looked at that temple, they were blown away. But nothing could prepare them for what Jesus was about to say to them. Look at the next verse, verse 2, chapter Mark, 13 of Mark. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Do you see these great buildings, this magnificent temple? And then Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now on the Mount, Olive, Mount of Olives, Jesus began to teach his disciples about world events that would ultimately lead to his return. The Jewish nation revolted against Rome in A.D. 66, and in A.D. 70, Titus Vespasian brought the Roman army into Jerusalem and ransacked the entire city of Jerusalem and tore the temple down stone by stone and burn it. Historians say that when the temple was burned, uh, that the, the Roman soldiers were digging through the rubble trying to, to get the melted gold that had melted. I mean, it was a mess. So that prophecy of Jesus right here was fulfilled in A.D. 70. Some scholars have suggested that over one million Jews died as a result of that Roman invasion, that Roman destruction of Jerusalem and its precious temple. The remaining Jews were dispersed across the world, and the Jewish nation ceased to exist. D did you hear me? The Jewish nation ceased to exist. That is, until 1948. And one of the great milestones of prophecy was in 1948 when the Jewish nation was reestablished. I mean, it is a very big indicator of the times in which we live. Look at Mark chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Now, the questions were bigger than just an inquiry into the destruction of the city of the temple. They wanted to know about the end of the present age and the beginning of the messianic age. Matthew's gospel makes that clear. 
his gospel account has these disciples asking, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, the New Testament clearly teaches that there are two ages, two ages. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, the Bible talks about, uh, what, about Jesus here, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named. Now listen, not only in this age, the church age, but also in the one to come, the messianic age. Jesus gave his disciples a detailed reply to their question. In fact, one scholar said that when they asked these questions of Jesus, this was the longest response he ever gave to a question he was asked during his earthly ministry. You see, Jesus understood that the prophetic truth is so important for believers and yet so many believers today uh, ignore prophecy so many believers today scoff at the idea of prophecy so many believers today some are very interested in prophecy now, I want to say something to you every believer within the sound of my voice ought to be interested in what Jesus had to say in Mark chapter 13. Why in the world do we think he gave so much time to teaching the disciples about prophecy when he had so little time left? Within a couple of days, he would be crucified. Within a couple of days, he would be resurrected from the dead. Within a, a few more weeks, he would, he, would, he would ascend back to heaven, and the disciples would be without him in a physical way. And he spent a lot of time teaching his disciples about the last days. That's what I want to speak to you today on, on the, the last days. Now, I, I want you to notice here that as we look at the last days, David Jeremiah observed, and I quote, I believe the signs in Matthew 24, 4 through 14, and Mark 13, 5 through 13, actually represent a description of the first half of the tribulation period. But these trends and events are not going to suddenly appear full-blown when the rapture comes. They're going to increasingly characterize these last days leading up to the rapture of the church, and they reverberate backward through time. Coming events cast shadows before them, and if we're alert, we can spot those shadows now. While we don't know the exact time of our Lord's return, I do believe we're nearing the end times. David Jeremiah. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and, and in any way suggest to you that I know when Jesus is coming. By the way, if anybody would suggest to you they know when Jesus is coming, you need to turn them off right then. Because no one knows when he's coming. Don't buy their books. Don't listen to their garbage. Reject it outright because it's just flat out a lie. With that thought in mind, I want us to look at these shadows. I want us to look at the signs 
of the last days. Number one, here's the first sign, spiritual deception. Look at Mark 13, 5 through 6. And Jesus began to say to them, and he begins his prophetic teaching right here. See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. Now, the imperative here, see, see to it that no one misleads you, it carries a sense of uh, a beware. Uh, take heed, watch carefully so that no one will deceive you. You say, Pastor, is it possible for believers to be deceived? Yes. Yes. Is it possible for unbelievers to be deceived? Absolutely. 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 So the problem of deception is a real issue as we move forward in the last days. Now, the, the Lord Jesus wanted his followers to understand that the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple did not mean that the end of the age had arrived. It didn't mean that Jesus was about to set up his earthly kingdom, the millennial kingdom. These leaders were to watch out for false teachers and false Christ. They were to shepherd the flock that God would give them in, in the, the, the church that was about to explode on the scene well, after the day of Pentecost. In 2 T Timothy 3.13, Paul wrote this, listen, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. In my lifetime, by the way, my mom is here today. I'm so glad she got to come and worship with us today. I'm 67 years old. I won't tell you how old she is. But in my lifetime, I've seen false Christ that arose in our culture. David Koresh claimed to be Christ. Jim Jones claimed to be Christ. Sun Young Moon claimed to be Christ. And there are others. I, I didn't mention them all. I, I've witnessed Harold Camping predict that the world would end on May the 21st, 2011. I, I've witnessed Edgar Wisenant, a former NASA, NASA engineer, predict that the rapture would occur in 1988 and when that prediction failed he turned around and wrote other books later books with predictions for 1989 1993 and 1994 and people bought those books you kidding me as the christian age draws to a close you can expect to see a rash of false Christ and false prophets spreading their lives. In my lifetime, I remember when everyone thought that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Seriously. In my lifetime, I remember when people thought John F. Kennedy was the Antichrist. We cannot allow ourselves to be misled. Remember, the ultimate deceiver in the future will be the Antichrist. I, I mean, he's the, 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 the number one deceiver that's coming into the world at some point in the future. He may even be alive today. I don't know. 
Here's the point. Don't be deceived. Know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, you will not be able to practice solid biblical discernment. Know your Bible. Now, here's the second sign. The first sign is spiritual deception. The second sign is global conflict. Now, I want you to skip down. Let's skip down to verse uh, 8. There's a key here to understanding all of these signs. For nations will rise up against nations and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. That's the key to understanding these signs. The beginning of birth pangs. Now, all the, the, the mothers in this room, you understand exactly what that means. I mean, God blessed you with a baby in your womb. And at some point, that baby began to exert some pressure on you. And you began to have birth pangs. And they started out and they weren't that hard. And they were far apart. But as the time of your dear one's arrival drew near, those birth pains got harder and they got closer together, harder and closer together, harder and closer together until you said, take me to the hospital. By God's grace, you gave birth to your sons and daughters. That's the key to understanding these signs. These signs have been in every generation for 2,000 years. But the key to understanding the signs is not that they're present, but, but that they are increasing with frequency and intensity. And that gives us a clue that the time of the Lord's return is drawing nearer. Now, the second sign is global conflict. Look at verses 7 and 8. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Iran, Gaza, Lebanon, Israel, Russia, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Iraq, and on and on it goes. Global conflict has been rearing its ugly head for the last 2,000 years. I can tell you that permanent peace on this planet will never be achieved by the UN. Permanent peace will never be achieved by a president of the United States or by some global leader, permanent peace will only be achieved when the Prince of Peace comes. That's when there will be peace on this earth. That's when wars and rumors of wars will come to a screeching halt when Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom on this planet. David Jeremiah wrote, The land of Israel has been the nerve center of the world since the time of Abraham. When Jesus Christ came to earth, Israel became the truth center of the world. 
Today, as we look at that small piece of real estate in the Middle East, it is the storm center of the world. There's coming a day in the future, the millennial kingdom, when the land will be the peace center of the world. Now, in keeping with Christ's analogy of birth pains, these conflicts will increase in magnitude and in intensity as the return of the Lord draws near. You say, Pastor, I, I, I thought that the world was just going to get better and better and better. Not according to the Bible. According to New Testament prophecy, the world is going to get worse and worse and worse until the Lord Jesus comes. Now, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're a part of his kingdom. Here's what you need to do. You need to remember this. Never lose faith in the end of the story. You say, well, what's the end of the story? Here's the end of the story. Jesus comes in glory and power. In fact, look at chapter 13. I'm going to be preaching on this next week. Look at chapter 13. Let me find it here. Yeah, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. That's the end of the story. And if you're a believer, you'll be a part of that kingdom. You'll be a part of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After the millennial reign of Christ, he's going to create new heavens and a new earth. And you'll be a part of serving him and reigning with him in the new heavens and the new earth according to the New Testament. Never lose faith in the end of the story. So he says here, in keeping with this analogy of the birth pain, believers do not need to be frightened or alarmed. But we can get so tied up in knots sometimes, can't we? I, I, in World War II, in, in World War I, there were a lot of people across the world who thought it was the end of the, the world. Jesus said, these things are a part of the sovereign purpose of God. And they're indicators as, as, as they increase in frequency and intensity that his coming is near. Now, here's the third sign. Number three, natural disasters. Mark chapter 13, verse 8, there will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. Every time there's a large earthquake, don't allow yourself to go to the place while Jesus is coming tonight. Jesus said, this is Jesus' words here, right? Jesus said, there will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Now, here's what you got to watch for. You got to watch for 
an increase in intensity and frequency of earthquakes and famines and, and pestilence. And Luke chapter 21, which is his version of the, the Olivet Discourse that we're looking at today, he mentions the word pestilences, that pestilences will increase in frequency and intensity. And we've seen the whole world, we've seen the entire world go through a pestilence, a plague called the coronavirus. And it's interesting that despite the fact that so many were, were ridiculed for saying that this virus originated in a lab, now even the, the secular godless media are saying that it seems like the virus originated in a lab in China. Do you realize that biological warfare could wipe out millions of people? Millions of people. And these things are on the horizon according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Luke 21, 11, he said, And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. What could these terrors and great signs from, from heaven be? Well, it could be asteroids that hits the earth. You realize asteroids can do incredible damage to the world and its environment. Consider the increase in famines. I looked this up on Wikipedia. In the past 500 years, have witnessed an increase in the frequency of famines, according to Wikipedia. In the 15th century, there were six famines. In the 16th century, there were 10 famines. In the 17th century, there were 24 famines. In the 18th century, there's 28 famines. In the 19th century, there have been there were 30 famines. In the 20th century, 44 famines. Now, if I'm correct, and I'll, I'll look at this correctly, that indicates an increase in frequency and intensity of famines that have occurred on the face of this planet. It, it's like Jesus is saying to the world today, he's saying to the church today, get ready, I'm coming. I'm coming. By the way, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you saved? Are you ready as a believer for Jesus to come? If he comes today and finds you, will he find you living for him and loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength? Are you ready for Jesus to come? You say, Pastor, are you sure he's coming? I know with absolute certainty he's coming. Do you know why I know with absolute certainty he's coming? Because he said he's coming. He departed and he's coming. And every person within the sound of my voice, you need to make sure you're ready for that moment. Now, the disasters that currently mark human history are previews, only previews, of horrible things to come during the tribulation period when God pours out his wrath against this sin-cursed world and its inhabitants. 
I'm talking about seven years of tribulation, especially the last three and a half years of that tribulation period. But Jesus said something interesting here. He said, believers do not need to be frightened or alarmed. Don't be frightened or alarmed by an increase of earthquakes, an increase of famine, an increase of pestilence. Don't be frightened or alarmed by those things. You're a believer. You're a child of God. You can never lose faith in the end of the story. So we've zeroed in on three of the signs Jesus revealed to his disciples. These include spiritual deception, global conflicts, and natural disasters. And here's the fourth one. Christian persecution. In Mark chapter 13, verses 9 and then verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be vigilant. For they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Brother will betray brother to death, a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Verse 12, verse 13, you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Now, endurance does not save you. Endurance proves that you're saved. Do you understand the difference between the two? Listen, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We're not saved because we grit our teeth and we, we choose to stay true to Jesus by the sheer power of our own will. No. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. But I'll tell you, when somebody is genuinely saved, they will endure to the end because that's what believers do. Jesus didn't save you for a, a momentary period of time. He saved you for eternity. Even in, in, in light of, of conflict and persecution, he expects you and, and, and I to be faithful to him until the day he comes. Now, he, he referred to Jewish persecution here. When he said, be on your guard, they will deliver you to the courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. And you can't read the book of Acts without seeing firsthand how the Jewish religious leaders persecuted the believers of the early church. We read about Peter being put in prison. We read about James, the first martyr of the Christian faith, having his head chopped off by Jewish leaders. We, we read uh, about Stephen being stoned to death by these same Jewish leaders. We read about Paul going into prison because Jewish religious zealots could not stand the truth that he stood for. And they couldn't counteract him. But Jesus' followers would also suffer persecution at the hands of Gentile authorities. Jesus said, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. 
In just this last year, I want you to listen to these statistics. Over 340 million Christians have been persecuted or discriminated against in our world. 4,761 Christians have been killed for their faith in one year's time. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked and razed, R-A-Z-E-D, by those who oppose Jesus and the gospel. 4,277 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Ironically, as the return of Jesus draws near, even one's own family will turn against them. Look at it here. L look at verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death. So you got a brother here. And this brother, one of these brothers is a strong believer in Jesus. And they will not compromise because they have strong biblical convictions. And the other believer, the other brother, is uh, approached by the authorities, and he turns his brother in for being a, being a Christian. And that brother is executed, tortured and executed for the cause of Christ. But look at this. And a father, his child. Can't, I just can't imagine that. But this is what it's going to be like prior to the coming of Jesus. It's going to increase in intensity and frequency. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You say, Pastor, that will never occur. Oh, yes, it will. How can you be sure, Pastor? Because Jesus said it would. You, you see, the, the, the shadows of tribulation are, are being cast into our time. And if you think it's bad leading up to the, to the rapture of the church, you, you, you ought to read about what's going to happen during the tribulation period. It's going to be infinitely worse. In fact, the book of Revelation reveals that the worst persecution in history will occur just before the Lord returns as animosity toward God and the gospel intensifies under the leadership of Antichrist. In those days, many will die for the sake of Christ. You can read about some of those who die for the sake of Christ in Revelation chapter 7. As they appear in heaven, they're, they're born-again believers. They didn't lose faith at the end of the story. And there they are. They've been martyred for their faith. And they're there in Revelation chapter 7 before the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're crying out to Jesus to avenge their deaths. And Jesus will, believe me. And, and Jesus said, look, when you see these kind of things happen, he said, do not worry. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, so that the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And if ever there's going to be a time when believers need that peace of God to guard their hearts, it's going to be at a time when persecution is on the upswing. And believe me, Christian persecution is on the upswing today. Do you realize that our generation is closer to the return of Jesus than any other generation in history? You realize that? Are you ready? Number five, here's the fifth sign, gospel saturation. Mark chapter 13, verses 10 and 11, Jesus said the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Verse 11, when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry. There's that, there's that command again, do not worry. Don't be anxious. Don't get all twisted in knots. When you go to share the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your acquaintances, or you go to another country to share the gospel with people who have never heard the gospel, don't be all twisted up and worried if you get arrested. Well, pastor, I wouldn't know what to say. Jesus says you will. Look, look what he said right here. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you need to say in those moments when you are arrested for sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that portions of the Bible have now been translated into more than 3,850 languages? Christian, Christian radio broadcasts are, are now accessible to nearly 78% of the earth's population. But with all that being said, secularism, secularism it, it's just getting worse and it's getting darker by the day. There's so much left to do. Several years ago, our church decided that we would adopt an unengaged, unreached people group, the Marathi-speaking Lingats in, in India, a, a people group who had no gospel contact. And we sent numerous teams over there to share the gospel with them, to develop leaders, to develop church planners, to develop pastors. And I'll tell you, God's doing an amazing work among that people group. What would it be like if every evangelical church would just take one of these unengaged people groups and take responsible for getting the gospel to them? My goodness. How will the gospel ever be preached to the whole world? John MacArthur stated this, he said, by both natural and supernatural means. You study in Revelation chapter 7 that God is going to seal and ordain 144,000 Jews who were proclaimed the gospel during the tribulation period. 
You don't think that's going to get some coverage? Later, two witnesses will be given amazing power to proclaim the gospel and verify their authority with great signs and wonders. And ultimately, they will even rise from the dead before a watching world, Revelation 11, 11. And in Revelation 14, just prior to the pouring out of the bold judgment, God sends an angel from heaven with the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of what do you say? Why will God go to that kind of, of length to get the gospel? According to 2 Peter chapter 3, it's not God's will for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. According to 2 Peter chapter 3, people are, are they're scoffers and they're asking, well, why, why has he not come yet? And they made fun of the church and they made fun of preachers throughout the years. But the reason Jesus hasn't come yet is because he's full of compassion and grace. And he wants people to be saved. The reason he hadn't come yet, because he wants you to be saved if you're not saved. You. You say, would Jesus do that for me? Absolutely. Listen, he loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins. He loved you enough to be raised for your justification. He loves you enough to delay his coming so that you can be saved. Will you give your heart to Jesus today? Will you trust him as your Savior and your Lord? So here, here's the truth. I want you to grasp today. You might want to jot this down. Jesus expects believers to live victoriously during the last days. Jesus expects believers to live victoriously during the last day. He doesn't expect us to get all twisted up with worry or, or fear or, or any of that stuff. He expects us to guard ourselves, to be watching vigilantly, to stay on the alert at all times because we do not know when the Lord Jesus is coming. Nobody knows that. So it is, it's very important that we stay ready for his coming as believers. And it's very important if you're not a believer that you get ready for his coming. So we've looked at five signs of the last days. Spiritual deception, global conflict, natural disasters, Christian persecution, gospel saturation. If I had time, I wish I had some time. I'm serious. If I had time, I would carry to Matthew 24, which is his version of the Olivet Discourse, same, same teaching that Jesus was giving here as recorded by Mark. And Jesus said another sign of the last days is moral anarchy. Now you look at what's happening in our world today. You look at what's happening in America today. There are cities in America that are absolutely lawless, totally out of control. 
the respect for those in law enforcement has gone to an all-time low. Moral anarchy not only rules America, but it rules the world today. And it's a sure sign that the coming of Jesus is getting closer and closer and closer. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? I, I guarantee you, counting live stream and those in this building, there, there are some of you who are not ready. You're not ready. But because you've not come to a place of biblical repentance and saving faith. You've not trusted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Now understand, nobody can get you ready other than Jesus. Nobody. And I'm asking you today, are you ready to get ready? Are you ready to receive Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? In just a moment, I'm going to ask our staff to come. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And I'm going to invite you as we worship together to come to one of our staff members and, and just tell them, today I want to be saved. I want to make sure that I'm ready when Jesus comes. And we'll help you with that decision. It's the most important thing in your life to make sure you're ready for this moment. And then secondly, to every believer in this room, to every believer watching live stream, there's a word here for us. Never lose faith in the end of the story. You say, Pastor, do you think we will be persecuted? I do, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, believers across the world are being persecuted hand over foot today. They're being martyred for their faith. It seems like every time I get an alert from Fox News, there's an alert about a, a group of believers being brutally murdered in Nigeria or in, in North Korea or, or some part of the world. And yes, it's going to impact us. So we need to get ready for that. We need to guard ourselves. We need to make sure that we stay alert. We need to make sure that we practice biblical discernment as believers. And we, and we do not allow ourselves to be misled by silver-tongued orators who claim that they have a word from God and they are special messengers of God. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Lord, I, I thank you that you took the time with your disciples to speak into their lives about prophetic truth. I thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in the dark, but you've given us some very clear signs of what's going to take place as your coming draws near. I thank you, Lord, for the metaphor that you used of birth pangs 
and how you show us as these signs increase in frequency and in intensity, it is a sign that your coming is even nearer. Lord, help us to be ready. Please, Lord, help us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. If you will, stand and let's join together and let's worship the Lord and you come as God leads you.